The great Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, has some rather strange beginnings involving a French priest, a wine salesman, and a Jewish violinist. Now, I'm not going to share the whole story this morning, but I would invite you to look it up sometime and learn more about the background behind this story. I was thinking about that song this week for a couple of reasons. One is just the interesting backstory behind it and the people behind the story because sometimes that helps us better understand a song as we'll look at a little bit later in our sermon when we look at the man behind a song that we're going to look at today. But also I was thinking about the song because of one of the lines in the first hymn where it says, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And the world is rejoicing because of the birth of Jesus. But it was that line, a weary world. Because as I talk to people, it just seems like I encounter more and more people who would simply describe themselves as weary or tired. Many of you are probably tired right now. One of the big things that a lot of people are facing right now is what has been simply dubbed COVID fatigue. It's the fatigue, the weariness of all the changes that have gone on in our world over the last seven or eight months. The kind of wondering, the back and forth as scientists are learning more about how best to help us stay safe. And so whether we wear masks and, and shutdowns and things opening up and things closing back down again, and being isolated from friends and family. And as I talk to people, I hear so many people just saying they're tired because of the uncertainty, because of not being able to do the things that you're used to being able to do. There's that feeling of weariness. And maybe you're feeling it too. Maybe you're feeling weary for other reasons. You're caring for a loved one who's aging. Maybe it's your own body that's starting to fail a little bit and you're feeling a little bit weary. For others, we have brothers and sisters who have been fighting against injustice and racism. And it's been not just the last eight or nine months, it's been most of their lives and they're weary. Or maybe there's some other reason, but there's something about that line, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And how can we begin to rejoice when we're so tired, when we're so weary? And so we're going to look at another song today, a song from the Gospel of Luke. And so we're in a series for Advent looking at the songs of Christmas. And we take these four songs that we're looking at from the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. So there are four stories, four accounts of the life of Jesus in our Bibles. And they're found in what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so all, over the four weeks of Advent, which is this season that leads up to Christmas, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're looking at four songs from the Gospel of Luke. And we know their songs, not because there are musical notes there, or even that it says they sang something, but the way they're laid out, they're words of poetry set in motion. And sometimes people will say, oh, well, it's not a song. It doesn't say they sang. It says they it reads and says, uses the word they said. But we can look at the form that it takes, that it takes the form of a psalm or of a hymn. And so we know we see these then as songs or as hymns. And so the one we're going to look at today is from a man named Zechariah. And so first, let's set the stage a little bit about who this Zechariah is. And Zechariah is introduced 
in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which is where the song is that he also sings. But in the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we met the, meet this man named Zechariah along with his wife named Elizabeth. We're told that they're older and that they've been waiting for a child, but they haven't had any. And perhaps they're weary, weary of being asked when they're finally going to have a child, and maybe weary because they know they've now passed the point where they'll physically be able to have children. And, they, and Zechariah is a priest. He serves in the temple along with thousands of other priests. And the story that Luke tells is of that day where he is drawn by Lot to go and to burn the incense in the temple. And this is a great honor because of the thousands of priests, there's only one chosen each day. And it's a once in a lifetime. Once a priest has drawn the lot to do that, they will never again do that because they want to make sure as many priests as possible have the opportunity to do that. And so Zechariah draws the lot. He goes in to offer the incense. And while he is in the temple, while he is beginning this offering to God, an angel appears to him. And this angel appears to him and tells him that his wife is going to have a child. Zechariah questions him, and he's startled, and he says to him, says, how can I be sure of this? In other words, I need some proof. And the angel doesn't take too kindly to this. You see, here's this priest who's doubting, saying, well, give me some more evidence. Here we have a messenger from God. And the priest is saying, well, I need some more evidence other than just your word. And so the angel says to him, well, because of your doubt, because of your lack of belief, you're not going to be able to speak until your child is born. So Zechariah emerges from the temple and he's unable to speak. And so we pick up the story nine months later when Elizabeth, his wife, is getting ready to have a child and all the neighbors are around. And this picks up around verse 60 of chapter 1 of Luke. And the family's there, and they're all gathered around, and she says that they're going to name him John. And everyone's wondering, well, why would you name him John? Nobody in your family is named John. And they look to Zechariah, and to everyone's astonishment, he writes down on this pad, his name is John. And then it says in verse 64, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And then... It says in verse 67, this is where we're going to pick up this song. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And so we're going to take a look at this song and see what Zechariah might have to say to us today. What might these words of Zechariah have to offer us in our weary world today? And so here he says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So one, we see that here is Zechariah and these aren't just the words that he was thinking about. He had nine whole months. Imagine being unable to speak for nine months and maybe think about, what's the first thing I'm going to say when my mouth is open? But it's not what he's chosen to say. But what it is is the work of God's Holy Spirit inside of him bringing these words out. And if you were to go back and read through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, which tells the Christmas story as we commonly hear it with Mary and Elizabeth and the shepherds and the travel to Bethlehem, one of the things we see, and this 
continues out through the rest of Luke's gospel and into the sequel, which is known as the book of Acts, is the work of the Holy Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit moving inside of people, causing them to speak, causing them to act in certain ways. And so here, when Zechariah speaks these words, when he offers this song, this hymn, it comes out of the work of God in his life. And so he offers this song and he says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And it says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And so as we begin to look at this song, this hymn that Zechariah sings, as we begin to learn more about it and go into depth, and we're not going to be able to go through every verse and look at each thing, I want us to just see some of the big highlights of what Zechariah offers to us about the God who saves, the God who comes to us and saves us. And one of the things we're going to notice as we begin to go through it is there are a whole lot of allusions, a lot of quotes back to the Old Testament. And this is absolutely critical. In order to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus' mission is and what Jesus is all about, is we have to understand the Old Testament. We have to have read it because when we come to the New Testament, we see people quoting and, and pointing their fingers back to the Old Testament. And so it's absolutely critical that we understand what's going on in the Old Testament to see what happens in the New Testament. We don't understand Jesus without the Old Testament. And Jesus, the Old Testament provides the foundation, the background for everything that Jesus does. And so now, because I didn't mention earlier, we want to be clear, when Zechariah is told that he's going to have a child with his wife Elizabeth, if you're not familiar with the story, this isn't Jesus, but this is another child, the one named John, which we mentioned earlier, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist will serve as a forerunner, kind of a messenger that comes ahead of Jesus. And so one of the things that's curious about when Zechariah begins to sing the song. Now here he is. Remember the story again. He's an old man, past the time when he would have expected to have a child. God comes to him. This angel sends an angel to him and says he's going to have a child. There's this miraculous birth. His wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant. She has a son, and he's been unable to speak for nine months. So you might think that some of the first words out of his mouth would be all about his son. But he doesn't sing about his son. What he sings about is God and the God who acts. And even when later in the song, when he talks about his son, he talks about his son in relation to the God who saves, in relation to God coming, in relationship to Jesus who comes. It's not just a song about, oh, my son, and this is so amazing, I'm finally having a son when I'm old. But instead, what he sings about after nine months of silence is the God who saves. And so here he begins, he says, He has come to his people and redeemed them. And then in verse 69, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. 
And so as he begins, again, these are all stories of the Old Testament. So we hear about David, this great king of the people of Israel, the king through whom God had promised that one day a Messiah, a Savior, Messiah is simply the Hebrew word meaning the anointed one, which we come then into the New Testament, which is written in Greek, and the word is Christ or Christos. And so Christ is not Jesus' last name, but simply means the anointed one or the Messiah. And so we come and so we hear about Messiah, Jesus, and so we're hearing that this is a fulfillment of the promises to David. It's also a fulfillment of the words spoken to the prophets. So people like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Amos and Micah, these prophets that had been spokespeople for God and had said these things. Now all the promises are beginning to come true. The promise to Abraham 1,500 years earlier when God had come to Abraham, who also was a man who was old, and he and his wife had not yet had any children. And so God comes to them, and in fact, the language is very much the same. So in that first verse, back in verse 68, where it says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people. The word is kind of the sense of He has visited His people. And the first time that word is used in the Bible is back in the book of Genesis. And it's used when God visits Abraham and Sarah, this couple who was old and had not yet had a child. And God had made a promise that they would have a child. And it says God visited them. And so this language that Zechariah is singing of, calls back to all these stories when God had visited His people, when He had come to His people in the midst of their misery, in the midst of their challenges, in the midst of their weariness, and brought brought salvation, brought redemption, brought them out of the trials and the troubles that they were in. And so this is what Zechariah is singing about, that God is a God who saves, that He comes to His people and brings them out of his misery. He doesn't wait for them to work their way out of their misery, but instead God sees people in their misery, and he comes to them. And this is what causes him to sing, and this is even why we sing today. And We recognize that God doesn't leave us alone, that God looks and he sees the problems, and he comes and he visits. And he sent his son Jesus, and so it goes on. And what has Jesus come to do? What has God come to do? It's already, you, you've already heard some of the words. He's come to redeem them, to show mercy to His ancestors. He says to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And so what we see when Zechariah sings this song is the scope of the salvation that comes through Jesus. The scope of the salvation how wide and deep and amazing the salvation is that God brings to His people. When He comes and visits His people, He rescues them from their enemies. And so here, the temptation might be to simply think, well, He's he's rescuing them from the hand of the Romans. But as we read through the rest of Luke's gospel and then into the letters of Paul, what we see is rescue from the enemy is all the enemies that are around us, including not only our physical enemies, but the enemies of the principalities and the powers, the things 
the forces of evil that bear us down because see what happens is we become enslaved to them. And so even this language of redeemed or redemption calls back to God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt and we're rescued from our slavery to sin. And so it's a rescue from the enemies because if you've ever been caught up in something, if you've ever been struggling with a sin, with a habit that you can't seem to break, it can feel like an enemy. It can feel like it's attacking you and bringing you down. And what Zechariah is saying here is God has come, Jesus has come to rescue you from that. In the midst of your weariness, in the midst of being worn out and tired, that God notices that God comes and He rescues us from those things. That He is the God who saves and so He comes and that's the scope of it that Jesus comes and He he comes to give forgiveness and later on it says that down in verse 77 to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And forgiveness of sins is an important part of our salvation, but it's not all of it. And so what Zechariah wants us to see through this language is how big that salvation is, that God is not only bringing forgiveness of sins, but He's also rescuing us from all those things that are around us. And then, not only is He rescuing us from those things, but He's rescuing us for something. And so back up again, to verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So God is rescuing us out of the situation that we're in so that we can serve Him. So Jesus comes not simply to bring forgiveness of sins, but so much more than that, to forgive us of our sins, but then in, to enable us to serve Him with love and with righteousness, to be able to serve our neighbors, to be able to show the world what God is like. And so this salvation is big and bold. And later on, um, the language that Zechariah uses, he says, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so there's this word peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, in Greek, it would have been Irene. And so this word that talks about peace, and peace is not simply an absence of conflict, but peace is a, a word that represents wholeness, that represents life the way it's supposed to be. And so it's saying that Jesus came into the world, that the salvation that he brings is to bring wholeness and fullness of life. I would invite you, if you haven't, to read through the Gospel of Luke and to notice the times the word peace comes up and what that looks like. We'll see it again in the song we're going to look at next week, which is the song of the angels where they come and they say that Jesus, around the birth of Jesus, about bringing peace on the earth. And then later on in the gospel, when Jesus sends out his followers to go and to preach the good news, to preach about the kingdom of God, he sends them in and he says, when you go into house, to proclaim peace upon that house. And then later when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, closer to the end of his life, on what we often refer to as Palm Sunday, he looks and he sees the city of Jerusalem, he weeps over it, and he says, if only you had known the things that make for peace. And so when Zechariah here sings, he's giving sort of a preview 
a picture of what this looks like. He was saying to guide us and to guide our feet into the paths of peace. What he's saying is that Jesus has come into the world to show us what wholeness and goodness looks like, what it looks like to live in harmony with the creation around us, what it looks like to live in harmony and wholeness with our neighbors, and wholeness and harmony even with ourselves. And so shalom or peace is this picture and saying, Jesus came into the world to set all things right. And so back to our song from the beginning. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And so we live in these in-between times, and that's part of what this season of Advent is about. This time of knowing that Jesus has come, that Jesus has come, that He offered His life on a cross, and that He's, God has raised Him from the dead. And now we're living in between that time and the time when Jesus will come again. But we've seen the dawning of the light and are waiting for the light to come in all of its fullness. And that's why we can sing. And that's why we can rejoice. That's the thing that can lift us out of the weariness because we know that God, just as He kept His promises before, that the God who saves will come again and will restore all things. And so Zechariah's song can be our song. And so the question for us today maybe then is, in response to this good news, in response to the God who saves, in response to the God who visits and brings salvation, a, a salvation of wholeness, what will our response be? What will be our response to this promise of God that He will one day make all things right? One response may be to simply sing, to sing in the midst of the weariness and to rejoice and to say, Jesus is born. To say that God has sent His Son into the world and so to sing those songs, whether it's O Holy Night or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, whatever song it is that causes you to sing and to say, I may be weary, I may be tired, I may be worn down, but I can rejoice in the midst of that because I know God sent Jesus once and Jesus is coming back again to bring salvation and to bring the fullness of the light. Or it may be that you know someone else who needs to hear that song. That the song of Zechariah may be for you, but it may be for a friend, maybe for a family member, maybe for a neighbor that you know who's also weary and needs to hear this good news. The good news of a God who saves. The good news of a God who comes and visits us in the midst of our troubles and our trials. A God who comes to bring salvation. And so this Advent season, this time of waiting, in this time of weariness, may we sing the song of Zechariah, the song of a weary world rejoicing, the song that says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. Because God has come and redeemed us in Jesus, and He will come again to make all things right. Amen.